Hello, Liturgy Guide listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great Coffee Talk episode for you this week. This is not our normal podcast. This is just Dennis and I uh, sitting around having a conversation. Usually it revolves around him having a ton of coffee and having a lot of energy to expend. So we sit down and have a great conversation. Uh, this week we talk about uh, our, our summer session program, but we talk about Dennis being in the Dominican order for a while. Also, I want to let you know that registration is now open for our Young Adult Liturgy Conference. That is going to be June 15th through the 17th. It's, a, it's a, basically the bulk of a weekend this summer. And if you like this podcast, you definitely will like this uh, conference. It's kind of a study weekend. So you get seven classes from the Liturgical Institute, and you get to pray with us. We do chanted morning prayer and evening prayer and song mass, and it's going to be amazing. So you come on campus. Uh, there's a place to stay for you. You get All your meals are included. It's just going to be a great weekend. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to www.betransfigured.com. Uh, space is limited, so if you are interested, please register soon so that you can get your spot. So without further ado... Another Coffee Talk episode of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Jesse, it's a new calendar year. It's a new year. It's a new time for coffee talk. It's Hey, it is a new time for and coffee talk. I went out to lunch, just got back, but I drank lots of coffee just to be ready for coffee just, talk. Just for the podcast. I had my morning coffee today, but then I had lunch coffee too, which means look out, world. <laughs> Before we really dive into... Um, the topic of today, which, which will be decided yet uh, to come at the actually, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, give us a topic, give us uh, lots of things to talk about. Amen. But before you do that, Holy Spirit, I, we just want to talk quickly about our summer session. Yes. Well, that's part of what this is about. Summer session 2018, what not is, to be missed. What is the summer session? It is six weeks of learning, liturgy, music, trips, parties, fun, Trip with trips. Yeah, people take little side trips to Chicago or they go up to Milwaukee or they go to a concert or they go to a stained glass window factory. Just things to uh, increase the educational value of a summer on our beautiful campus. Oh, well, that sounds fantastic. Right. So summer school is summer school, right? If you can't come to get a master's Summer degree, school, you know, summer not. Summer's, <laughs> summer's cool. Summer's cool. Summer's at the liturgical cool. And summer is cool at the Liturgical mm-hmm. Institute. So, you know, some people can't come for two full years to study, but they can get a master's in liturgical studies or in liturgy in five sequential summers for six weeks each. And each one of those six weeks is broken into three weeks. So there's two three-week sessions each summer. And someone can come for a degree, or they can just come for a course and have three-week liturgical vacation here on our Ooh, yeah. awesome a campus. Li- a liturgivation. Uh, so that's a student at large. You, you talk about that a lot. That means just... Come for one course or two courses. So if you wanted uh, a two-course meal, you you could come to the Liturgical Institute. Um, So there's two sessions. The first one's from June 9th to June Uh, 30th. I think it starts on June 11th this year. Oh. This is 2018. Oh, you're right, June 11th. The pro seminar is on June 9th. That's for new people. They get a little quick intro, and then the courses start. The classes start on the 11th. So we're both right, Jesse. We're both right. That almost never happens. Usually I'm right. I mean, you're right. (laughs) Uh, But that goes to June 30th, right? It's three weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. So we got two courses in that three-week session, and it's uh, Liturgical Traditions East and West. That's with uh, Father Bema. Father Bema, right, who is a bi-ritual priest, so Mm -hmm. he knows all about the Eastern things. He's actually a really important guy. You know, we see him around here pushing papers and setting policy as the academic, uh, well, vice director for academic affairs. But then we find out he's in Rome at the Vatican negotiating Doing agreements between, you know, uh, Eastern churches that want to come in union with Rome. It's amazing. He's like, mm-hmm. hangs around in the upper echelons of Vatican talkie talk. Right. Also, not, he's kind of our boss, which is cool. Well, yeah. 
He's yeah. the, he's above me on the flow chart. So Where am I in regards to you on the flow you're chart? You're just lateral. Are you my boss? I am not your boss. Oh. You answer to someone else. We just good. work that together. That is great. We're peers. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, then the other course that uh, that first session, so from the 11th to through the 30th, is Ritual, Symbol, and Worship. That's with Father Ryan Ruiz. Right, who's a young priest, just came back from Rome, getting his doctorate. Mm-hmm. And he teaches at uh, Mount St. Mary's of the West, which is the major seminary in Cincinnati. And very dynamic, very nice, very humble, but very smart. And the whole ritual symbol thing, you know, we did a episode on a podcast on ritual in the first season. Mm-hmm. Chris talked a lot about that, but uh, well, that was like one of the first episodes we did, right? It was pretty early. Yeah, yeah don't listen to those. Uh, we'll probably we should <laughs> we'll, re-record we'll do them. it again. <laughs> I was at the gym last night, and there was a guy I don't really know, but he was sitting next to me in the sauna, and he had all these tattoos on his arm. I already love this story. Keep going. And he had got one when he was in his twenties, and it was just black, and it had all these cool designs around his bicep. And he got some more tattoos recently, and the tattoo guy was like, dude, man, like these are not good. I have to redo them. So the guy went over the tattoos with, with color and sharpened them up and made them look way better. So halfway around his arm, it's all better, and the other half is not good. So Oh, wow. That's kind of like us re-recording a podcast. Yeah. Sharp tat- and better. Yeah, and good things these podcasts aren't like permanent, so we can always redo them. <laughs> well, that's right. So I, this guy's name, I don't know I don't know his name. His last name is Tim. I mean, his first name is Tim. So tat- tattooed Tim. Tim of the tattoos in the sauna nice. at the Parkview uh, Rec Center. All right, so what you. does that have to do with... Uh, <laughs> well, we're talking about ritual redoing symbol. some of our podcasts oh, right, and making right. them sharp and crisp. But anyway, ritual and symbol, they're very important because, you know, this Christian worship's made up of a right. Everything is a right. And why is a right, R-I-T-E, mm-hmm. why is it necessary? And there's all these char- characteristics that ritual has that are very important. And all, symbols, really, really important. Yes. Sim- symbol makes present in our world something that's otherwise unencounterable, like the presence of God or the actuality of the ba- baptism or the presence of the I was just going to say the actuality of baptism. The real presence in the Eucharist, that's mm-hmm. a symbolic mediation. That's matter making something knowable to us, uh, what do we call a sacrament. So it's the, at the heart of our worship. And uh, we have some two all-stars for the second part of the session, too, actually. So the so if, if that's a three-week course that you want to go for uh, ritual, uh, symbol, and worship, or liturgical traditions east and west, that's going to be from June 11th through June 30th. Let us know if you either want to be a student at large or you actually want to come and do the summer's only masters. But Think of this. Get away from your screaming kids for three weeks mm-hmm. on a vacation in our beautiful campus with a lake. Absolutely. Sung music. And I will, bring, I will bring my screaming kids that you can listen to. <laughs> we have a lot of really talented musicians among our student body. And last summer, they were, they were singing beautiful motets and trios. It was. And, it was great. Oh, my gosh. I only heard the last end of it because I was still on paternity leave. But... Every year, there's just some amazing music here. Which, speaking of music, that's one of the uh, courses. That's one of the courses: ritual and music, and that's by Father John Mark Missio. Music and worship, I think. Okay, music and worship. Right, John Mark Missio is a very talented and accomplished musician in himself, but he also has a master's in liturgical studies and a a licentiate in sacred theology from us, so from the LI. So, so you know, he's real good, and he knows our program, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, he's a director of liturgy and music at the seminary in Toronto, Canada A. Ooh, where, uh, not he, Canada B. Canada A. <laughs> before he was before he was that, he was the director of the choir school at the cathedral in Toronto. So for several years, he led this choir school. He also is a published composer in several places. He has been on the Canadian Bishops Commission for Music. So theological education, yeah, very good, absolutely. Musical education and expertise. Really good. And he also spent a lot of time studying our big Gregorian chant manuscripts in our library here. So we have about six or seven of these big. They're like four, three feet high. And uh, yep. we'll have him give a tour of those as well. He knows them all inside out. Excellent. And then uh, coupled with that, we also have the Reconciliation, Anointing, and Death by Father Dennis Gill. Reconciliation, Anointing, and Death. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's going to be lively. All important things, right? So mm-hmm. reconciliation to what the nature of... Um, sacrament of penance, right? What mm-hmm. does it mean? Forgiveness of sins. What is anointing? What does it do? And then, you know, the, the rites of surrounding death in the church. Some of these things are related. So important stuff. Absolutely. And, and Father Gill is a big shot too. He's the, uh, 
director of liturgy at the seminary in Philadelphia, and he also was once the director of liturgy at the North American College in Rome, and he's the rector of the cathedral in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and has lots and lots of jobs. He was in charge of the papal liturgies when Pope Francis came to Philadelphia. Yeah, absolutely. So these are not lightweights coming here Correct. this summer. So these are heavyweights. Heavy. <laughs> Don't tell them that. Right. But, uh, Liturgical heavyweights. But uh, this is all just to say that if this is something that you're interested in, let us know. Uh, you can, If you want more information, just give us a call, 847-837-4542. You can look at all this stuff on our website, liturgicalinstitute.org. Right. So if you're a pastor and you say, hey, my music director is a nice person but hasn't really studied you know, liturgical music, Send them for three weeks. The summer's quiet in a parish anyway. From his just don't send them if they're not a nice person. Yeah, if they're mean, forget it. Right, but, and actually, we'll make them nice. Our, the people <laughs> in the summer are so nice. It's a funny thing. Every night, this is how it works. You have class. We have morning prayer at around eight, and we have class all morning. Then lunch. The afternoon is free to study and do whatever. Then we have mass and evening prayer, and then they do something at nine o'clock every night that they jokingly called ages ago what jesse uh is it a holy hour they called it the holy hour ding ding ding. oh where's the bell but it was actually a sarcastic term it means the cocktail hour so Mm -hmm. these people work hard play hard worship hard and party hard and party hard party hardy and not everybody has to we have a kind of lounge room other people just stay in the room if they want a quiet night but Mm -hmm. people hanging out meeting each other forming contacts uh, knowing who to ask when there are questions across the country and the world. It's really great. And all of our graduates, uh, they have this online group on Facebook, actually, that they ask each other questions and, you know, share information, you know, job openings and things like that. And it's a really strong, surprisingly, really strong community of graduates that rely on each other to continue their formation even right. after graduating. Right. In fact, Father Donald Richardson, who is the cathedral rector in and the director of worship for the Diocese of Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. Good Hey, mate. <laughs> he put, he's sort of the Oxford version of Australia. He's sort of like... Uh, I don't know how to do that. Don't high, even ask. Highbrow British Australian. <laughs> we sat day, out, mate. <laughs> we sat out on the porch one day here in the summer in the sun. And I said, you have to teach me to talk Australian. And he actually took me through the letters of the alphabet in Australian one by one. So I, they, <laughs> say, day. The key is to have a diphthong. Oh, yes. all right. You have, Every, a, dip, you have a diphthong? Uh, occasionally. Oh, yeah, I've been go. known to... Thong, some dips. Instead of A, it's I. I. So it's an A, E, I. E sound all at once. I. B. Say. Say. Day. Oh. That's easier than I would have thought. Yeah, I know. Anyway, he taught me Australian, and he was on our Facebook thing today arguing about something with somebody. Oh. Oh, I know what it was. One of our students asked, because he comes from England where it's cold and damp, they are allowed to wear Oh, hats. hats. I saw that. Hats yeah. when they receive communion. In England, apparently it's a custom, but other places it's considered rude, so they were discussing that. Is it considered rude here? Yes. Oh. Men don't wear hats indoors in the U.S. or England or Australia, apparently. Oh. Or Australia. But apparently in England, the, some of the, they wear these little monastic caps because it's cold and wet hmm. there. Zucchettos? So, kind of like Zucchettos, but Zucchetto would be proper to a priest. He just had a little wool hat on, I think. But Okay. Anyway, this is what you can talk about if you're... On and if you if you don't come here and you're not on the page, then you cannot talk about it. You will never know. You are, you are you are we forbade you, forbid. What is forbade? Past tense. Yeah, past I forbade tense forbid. you. Nice. All right, Dennis. Yes, that's my name. Down to the beans. Beans. Coffee beans. They're good for your heart, you know. Yeah. They anyway. ground. They ground you. <laughs> they, they keep you <laughs> grounded. Coffee beans are the only thing that. Ground you and you can ground. Do we grind any other kind of beans? I don't think so. Um, like we don't grind string like beans or lima, lima beans. beans. No, we don't, <gasps> we don't grind those. We well, said lima uh, beans. Punch buggy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, anyway. So, what's what are we talking about that we're grounded by? Uh, beans and SLS? SL. Oh, yeah. That's actually what we should talk about. Um, that was a phenomenal experience. Yes. I'm really glad that you had the idea that we should go. I am so I smart. I was resisting it for so long. <laughs> and, and I did all finally, the work. You did all the work, and you finally convinced me that it's something that we should do. And we, we went. Uh, so SLS, by the way, is the Fellowship of Catholic University Students Off-Year Conference. It used to stand for Student Leadership Summit, where they would train their student leaders and their um, missionaries, but it's been so popular, they've opened it up to all kinds of people. So there are 8,000 on-fire Christian leaders there, mm-hmm. most under the age of 30 or Absolutely. less, and it was amazing. So now they need to figure out what SLS stands for now. Right, because it's not just student leaders anymore, it's the 
I don't know what it will have to come up with some other thing that yeah. stands for. Well, you know, we, it was really good to, to be at Seek last year in San Antonio. It was unfortunately it was cold even in January. Um, it was really cold here. What was it? Minus five the first night. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah, it was. Fortunately, really we didn't step outdoors for five days. So yeah, there were like little gerbil tunnels we <laughs> could use to get everywhere. But but we went to Seek last year, and we were major sponsors, and that was really great. We got to meet a lot of you listeners, which was awesome. Um, and, and this time too. And this time too, so many people came up and said, "Oh, I love the podcast," which is great. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so it was great to meet you. It was great to introduce ourselves to our new podcast listeners that are listening to this. Hello, new podcast hello, listeners. Hello, liturgy guy listeners. And we also had a little interview with Bishop Barron. Ab- right? Absolutely. So I'm working on editing that keep now. Keep an eye out for that now. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just a really great experience. I, I think uh, what's great about the Liturgical Institute, first of all, before I even started working here, I say this a lot. On the podcast and I think in a couple other coffee talks, but I didn't really know a lot about the liturgy, wasn't really interested in, but it's very clear that what's coming out of this institute in terms of content and the way things are taught, it's very clear that there is a, there needs to be a renewal, but that a renewal is also already happening in, in liturgy. And I cannot tell you how many people you know, came up to our booth after they saw your talk or after you know we've been you know talking to them or they've heard our podcast or... And they were talking about how beautiful the music was at the masses oh, for this thing. And, and that's thanks to one of our graduates, Adam Bartlett, yeah. a graduate of our program who's gone out there and really made a big impact in liturgical music with his publications. And, and even then, it's one thing to know it's one thing to know music or one thing to know how to paint or one thing to know art or beauty, but it's another thing to know how to sacramentalize that and so that it's something that means more than than just a painting or just a song. It reminds me of a story. Some years ago, I was somewhere with... Father Cashin Folsom, he's a quite well-known Benedictine who refounded the Benedictine Monastery in Norcia, Italy, which is the birthplace oh, of St. Benedict. Oh, that's the one that had the earthquake, right? Yeah, and their church fell down and mm-hmm. everything. Oh, and they make beer? They do. They make oh, beer on Nor- Norcia. That should have been the first thing I should have remembered. <laughs> well, anyway, I was somewhere with him, and he asked about liturgy somewhere, and somebody said, well, so-and-so's not really interested in liturgy. And he stopped, looked quizzically at me, and he said, well, what is he interested in? <laughs> what could you possibly be interested in if it's right. not liturgy? Well, not so much as an academic discipline, but basically liturgy is the privileged place where we get to relate to God, give ourselves to God, become glorified by God, receive grace from God. And how could anybody say, I'm not interested in that? Right. I mean, we talk about this a lot uh, in our side conversations, but every Catholic initiative that exists out there, whether it's an initiative of discipleship or missionary work or you know, work with the poor or in the environment or anything, the, the destination of that work or the completion of that work always happens in the liturgy. And so if you're doing that work, if you're doing missionary work, so on and so forth, and you're not taking part fully in the liturgy, fully and active, then you're missing out on an opportunity to really consecrate what you're doing to completion, to right. full, fullness. I like to think of it this way. And it's it's always been the teaching of the church in certain different centuries it gets forgotten. But basically, Christ is at the right hand of the Father offering perfect worship for us. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about doing it perfectly or else God will forgive oh, us. I would be so bad at it if it was up to me. <laughs> our job is to unite our minds and hearts with Christ's intention to give himself to the Father as a sacrifice and get himself back glorified. He's doing it. All we have to do is grasp, uh, graft ourselves onto his intention by giving our intention to that. And not just, okay, I wait around and go to Mass because I have to, or I wait around for the Eucharist and get my spiritual vitamin pill. The Eucharist is the pledge of the glorification of ourselves that we've, that we're ha- but that's happening in the liturgy. It's the completion of it. But it's actually the giving yourself on the patent. Put yourself on the altar at Mass when the priest is saying the Eucharistic prayer. Just imagine, you know, some scene from, what was it, the, the first King Kong, maybe the remake of it had it too. I am really excited to see where you're going with How this. am I going to relate this to King Kong? <laughs> well, you know, there's the, Jessica Lange plays the kind of the woman. Of course, Jessica Lange, yeah. That King Kong falls in love with, and they put her on this altar because they want to offer her as an offering to King Kong because he's their god, this island and wherever. And they have her tied on top of this altar with these vines, and King Kong's coming to eat her. Of course, she'd be destroyed if he ate her, right? But if you think about what Christ does, I like to imagine myself like literally on the altar, like almost like an like operating Like laying table. down? Yeah, just in my own mind. I don't, mm-hmm. really, I don't really lay on the altar. We're getting weird, but very, let's go. Very often. Keep going. <laughs> and I'm being given to God. I'm not being given to King Kong. I'm being given to the Father by Christ. 
and I'm real. I'm an offering. I'm a victim. I'm going to be destroyed. My fallenness, mm-hmm. my sinfulness, even my good things are going to be destroyed, and given back to me better. Mm-hmm. Why not do that? Because Christ's perfect sacrifice makes up for our inability to, to perfectly sacrifice ourselves. Give yourself away. Get yourself back better. Yeah, I mean that's a that's the core of everything that that we're doing here. And uh, now, you did not have a lot of liturgical training before coming to the. Thank liturgy. you for bringing that up. Jesse. No, I bring. Well, in a lot of ways, no, our, I did not have our formal academic training. In our beginnings, liturgy, our beginnings in the liturgical institute were very similar in that we both brought different skills and talents, um, but they were enhanced by what was going on already um, in terms of the renewal of, in liturgy. And can you, can you explain a little bit, I, and I still don't even really remember, but you were just coming out of grad school. You did your dissertation on church architecture or yep. just yep. just architecture? American church architecture, okay. 1920s and 30s. And uh, you just graduated. And I had then, six weeks to goof off, and then I had to drive to Mundelein, Illinois, mm-hmm. which I had never heard of. Yeah. Which coincidentally is where we are right now. Yes, and we still. Well, you drove from Virginia, right? Charlottesville. Yeah, I got my little. U-Haul. Where'd you do your goof off? I just hung around Charlottesville for a few weeks. Okay. Yeah. All right. What's in there? Well, it's a great university town, Mr. Jefferson's University. Wahoo, wah, go who's, You know, University of Virginia. Go who's? Yeah. The the uh, motto. Well, not the motto. What do they call it? The, uh, the Whoville. The They're team. in Whoville. Well, they are in Whoville. That's another story. <laughs> Actually, there's a mountain up nearby. Uh, that the guy who was Dr. Seuss, his mm-hmm. real name was Theodore or something. Uh, he actually lived in that house as the, the legend on the campus. And he would look down at the university students and they were called who's because the Wahoo is a fish. So uh, oh. that's the mascot of the, you know, go Wahoos. The legend was it could drink five times its weight. And so university of Virginia students are known for their why aren't they called, partying. Why aren't they called camel fish? I don't know, because anyway, wahoos, go who's. All right, so you, you goofed off in Charlotte. And then I moved here, and I didn't know what a liturgical institute was, but Monsignor Mannion, who was the founding... I still don't know. Yeah, well, a little bit. <laughs> it's good, you don't need to. I'm in charge of this place right. now. Uh, he was one of the great sacramental theologians and liturgically-minded people of the 1990s and into the 2000s. And he really set the program and taught me a lot. Really, really taught me a lot. And then I took courses here, so... I have about three quarters of the coursework for a license in sacred theology. Just finish it. Yeah, well, it's a lot of work. <laughs> you could but, be your your own. Uh, what is it? Uh, thesis uh, director. Director. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was fortunate. You know, I took about five courses with uh, then Father Barron, who was one of our great teachers here. And who's that? He's now Bishop Barron in who's California. That? What do you mean, who's that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's the guy we interviewed at uh, SLS. Yeah, I uh, took this job because I was like, oh, it's going to be great to work with Father Barron. And, and then, then Pope Francis comes along and says, boom, you're a bishop. Man, Pope Francis. I, I also got to study with Ed Oaks, Father Ed Oaks, the Jesuit. Oh, yes. Who's now deceased, but he was one of the great minds of the 20th century. I've heard only great things oh, about him. Oh, my goodness, he was so great and funny. You could always sit next to him at a party, and he would just... Talk, 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 talk about all these interesting little newsy, gossipy, theological controversies. It was it's hard to believe there'd be gossip about theology, but there is such a thing. I, I actually believe it. I've been here long enough that I can believe it. <laughs> anyway, where are we going with you? Uh, you came here. You didn't really know much. Mannion oh, yeah. really helped you. So I knew the history of architecture, but I didn't know the sacramental meaning of architecture. And uh, that was the thing. I was very fortunate. There was a guy named Bill Westfall, who was my teacher at UVA, who had an Aristotelian view of beauty, mm-hmm. that architecture was uh, manifests the political reality of a city. And then he kind of stopped there, but then it really set me up to say, well, if architecture indicates something, signifies something, all I have to do is take it to the next level. Architecture signifies theological things. What are those theological things? And then, boom, a star is born. A star is born. The star is not me. DMAC the star. La. Uh, so I, mean, I just find that incredible that you could be in a field that wasn't really even related to liturgy, and then somehow you can use that sacramental understanding of just life in general, but also the liturgy itself. This is called providence. Yeah, absolutely. I could not have predicted this in any way. I couldn't have sought this out. Couldn't have looked for it. It just happened. I haven't figured out how to sacramentalize uh, social media marketing yet, but maybe I will. Yeah. 
That's the Holy we, Spirit. When you were talking about the uh, Aristotelian model of building and architecture, is that um, similar to what we were talking about uh, in the episode, uh, We Built This City? Yeah, that's okay. the whole West, Bill Westfall approach, which is the Aristotle approach. Because Aristotle's view of things is one of the ways to look at the world that basically we understand the th- higher things by looking at the lower things. Mm-hmm. There are some people who say the higher things burst in through the lower things and they're kind of limited participations in the higher things. The other way to say it is we look at the things of the earth and if you see enough of those, you come to understand what the higher things are. So there's actually something contained in the object that reveals something to us. That's what they call the realist or the Aristotelian tradition. And that's mm-hmm. been very important for me because that really is the Catholic sacramental worldview. The thing in front of you reveals something to you. It's not just a wish that it's somewhere else. The Eucharist has the real presence of Christ really present. Really, really. Yeah. Whether you think so or not, it's there. So there's an objective reality outside of your subjective perception. Imagine that. No, mm-hmm. seriously. Imagine that. Well, <laughs> yeah. So if you took you know three atheists into a room with the Blessed Sacrament and they didn't believe in the real presence, that would not change the real presence. Now, the radical subjective view, which is more the modern view, is, well, there's nothing really in the thing except that it triggers a response in me. And so my subjective reality, experience of that thing is, is primary over the objective reality. And that's where a lot of the arguments come from this day, these days about sacramentality of liturgy. Don't tell me what I should believe or feel or think or encounter by mm-hmm. me pushing something on me. It's, well, that just personalizes everything. Like everybody wants to personalizing and how does it make me feel or how, how do how do I connect in the liturgy and what is the best way for me to pray and um, that's kind of the opposite direction of the way things are flowing is how can I make myself a part of what's going on rather than how can I bring the liturgy to a point where um, I feel like it's best understand whether it's music that I, I like better or um, architecture that I like better to make it more more closely to what I want rather than vice right. versa. And that's where the church has this problem solved, like most things. There are Mm -hmm. lots of varieties within the Catholic tradition, and there's devotional stuff which allows you to do what you want. I want to say the rosary. I want a novena. I want a chapel of divine mercy. Fine. So there's a lot of subjectivity in that. However, the liturgy is not really that. Liturgy is an objective reality that you encounter that you're supposed to be conformed to to which you're supposed to be conformed. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Steffens. To whom is supposed to be conformed. Grade teacher. Wherever Mrs. Steffens is today. Oh, uh, Mrs. Steffens. Oh, she was Way great. She was a really nice teacher. I believe it. When uh, she signed my high school yearbook, you know what she said? You're a real nice student. She said, you're the kind of, I think she called me boy. You're the kind of boy I would want my daughter to marry when she grows up. That is a compliment. Wow. How's that for an English teacher? Linda Steffens in Long Island, wherever you are. Thank you for that. I remember it all these years later. Wow. How did that work out for you? Uh, I think her daughter was like 11 at the time, so we never met. That's why she wrote, when she grows up, in parentheses. Uh, uh, all right, so you were here, and then you then you were uh, in a Dominican friary? Priory? What is it? Fri- Dominicans are priories? Uh, for Well, they're, yeah, priories. Technically, right. technically, they're called convents, but that confuses people. Because really? Well, it's kind of like the nun and right. religious. It's the place where conventual living happens. It's not really gender specific, although we tend to think that <sighs> nuns are in convents. I am learning things. Priests are in rectories. All right, so you were in a convent. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was a Dominican novice for, I don't know, 10 months. So then to a full novitiate year. You know, at the end of the mm-hmm. year, you have to petition for first vows. and means you want to continue. And I, I stayed the whole time that I, in my stage of things. In Cincinnati, Ohio, at St. Gertrude's Church. Oh, I didn't know that you were in Cincinnati. Yes. The nasty natty. How did? How much uh, skyline chili did you have? Uh, quite a bit. Well, you know, we didn't get out much as novices, but they took us out every now and again, and they had some skyline chili. If you are ever in Cincinnati, don't eat skyline chili. I thought it was good actually, but oh, it's a man. spaghetti with the chili is not like normal chili. It's kind of uh, hamburger and, and it has cinnamon, cinnamon and, and chocolate and, in it. Well, yeah, unsweetened cocoa. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's its own thing. It's good. And they put cheese and stuff on it. Let's they have these little hot dogs called conies there too. Oh yeah, they're little tiny short hot dogs covered with this chili stuff and cheese. What's going on out there? I don't know. I don't think people can't hear it. So yep. Anyway, uh, yeah, and the Cincinnati's got this famous like five layer, seven layer chili, and it's just pasta and chili and some other. Yeah, thing it's basically there. spaghetti with meat sauce and different stuff on it. So you can have onions, cheese, chilies, and I forget the other things. Uh, you know, chili itself on spaghetti noodles is actually pretty delicious. You should it definitely is, right? try it. But the Skyline stuff, 
Uh, well, it's a fast food joint. I mean, yeah. it's not. I'll just say food. my body did not like that. I, yeah. So <laughs> what we're saying is you shouldn't eat Skyline Chili, but everybody else. Actually, there's another uh, place, another chain in Cincinnati that's like their rival. I forget the name. but Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, they're not a very good rival. I was there in Cincinnati. Well, yeah, Cincinnati. little part of Cincinnati called Madeira, which was a kind of nice suburb. Is that northwest? I don't remember, but I think so. Huh. All right. Uh, And do they have White Castle in Cincinnati? They sure do. Yeah, when we were... uh, I had a, Dennis a, loves White Castle. Uh, that's the sound of the angels singing whenever those two <laughs> words are said together. So if you want to amuse, amuse yourself and abuse me, all you have to do is say those two words together. And it's, <laughs> it's, it makes me say that thing. So my nieces and nephews used to go, White Castle, White Castle. Just so we go, ah, every time. <laughs> yeah. But you were telling me that, that like, your dad would drive yes. you into the city just for White Castle uh, or something? Oh Yeah, my, um, my father grew up in New York City, and he loved that place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now they're kind of everywhere, but when we were little in New York. I don't know. It's hard to find them sometimes. Well, it's true, but they've, ex- you know, they've been expanding slowly, but the nearest one was in Queens. You know, I grew up on Long Island, so it was a good hour drive, and oh we go across gosh. the Queensboro Bridge. It was awesome. Oh, no. Anyway, we're near the Queensboro Bridge. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're four years old, nobody asks you what you want for dinner. You just sit down and eat what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. So I would say, Mom, what's for dinner? And she would say, Oh, your dad wants to go to White Castle. Oh. <laughs> and we'd just be like... Yeah, all day long we'd be like, get in the car, drive to New York, and we didn't get out of the car because it was a terrible neighborhood. So they didn't have, <laughs> they, they didn't have a, they didn't have a seating area. So my dad would go up there alone behind the, and the people would be behind the bulletproof glass. Oh my goodness! And he'd say, "How many do you want?" And then I would say four, and I could actually order my own food, and then he'd bring it back, and we eat in the car. Oh, it was so fun! And then the car smelled like White Castle for the rest uh, of the week. <laughs> yep. And. It, we were just trained like Pavlov's dogs to think that this fast food chain was like the food of the gods. The foretaste of the heavenly white castle. <laughs> if you want to do it in theological language, it's the Taurus Ebornia. That's the Tower of Ivory. In the oh. Of Loretto, so the white castle oh, is the Tower of Ivory. <laughs> um, but then they opened one in my hometown and then we didn't care anymore. We never went. Oh, isn't Although that my just sister got a job in high school there and she used to make the little burgers. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Man, you know, it's really good, but again, my body can only handle so much. Yeah, well, the thing I like to say about White Castle ah, is that you eat it once and you taste it all day. It's the best value in time. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I have tried the frozen ones where you uh, microwave them. Yeah, they're, they're, good. they're not bad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so you were in the novitiate. Yes, so the novice year is kind of the year of quiet and solitude. You don't really do studies, but you learn the way of life, and you pray five times a day, and you learn how to live in community. And there's, we had some little classes, but for the most part, it was mostly just learning the life of um, religious order. So why'd you come back? You know, Adam, at the end of the year, I just kind of felt in my gut, this is not where I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm usually this too much skyline chili. No, if you felt no. it in your gut, we really we didn't have uh, much of that, honestly. Um, and if you're wearing white, you wouldn't want to. Oh yeah, well the white habits were definitely dangerous for. Hey, you were telling me you would like uh, the sleeves would get caught on things. Yeah, if you held your arm out, the sleeve would like five inches hanging down your wrist. Oh. So you would reach across you know, your plate at dinner to reach for the salt and your sleeve would drag right through whatever was on your plate in front of you or whatever it was. So you could have had those like old timey, uh, you know, like, uh, what is it? Those scrunchies that yeah, those guys used covers, to, yeah. yeah, put those on there. Well, when you're novice, you do what you're told. You don't, you don't ask for special <laughs> sleeve things, anyway. but it was really great that, you know, the novice master, Father Walter Wagner, who's the pastor of St. Vincent Ferrer Church in New York City now, was where you great, were baptized, where I was baptized, you All know, right. comes back to where I was baptized. He was great. He was wonderful. My classmates were very, very nice. The community was very nice. The liturgy was celebrated beautifully and reverently. You know, one thing I learned in living a liturgical life was after we had different duties every week. So Monday was a certain thing. And Tuesday, you had duties around the house. Wednesday, you do whatever. So, you know, after Easter, there's the Easter octave, which is eight solemnities in a row. Mm-hmm. And for eight solemnities, we weren't allowed to do any work around the house. So we had normal duties, mow the lawn, clean the whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. For eight days, no work. Eight days. That sounds awesome. Not only did we sing the Gloria and have six candles and, you know, the things that liturgically would indicate a solemnity, but the life then revealed it as well. And I was like, oh, I get it now. You're celebrating Easter for eight days, so much so that mowing the lawn has to wait or whatever your other 
duty around the house uh, was. And so the meals were more elaborate and everything. It was really allowing the liturgical life of the church to extend out into the world. So the in terms of liturgy, they did things pretty well over there? Because I know some religious orders, uh, they spend a lot of time looking into that, and some they don't, and it, depending on the communities of said mm-hmm. religious orders. but Yeah, the Eastern Province, what's called the St. Joseph Province, has always been fairly observant liturgically, very interested Good. in liturgical things. And so they're even better now, from what I understand. They really looked back at their own tradition and uh, decided we're not just guys in white robes doing what the Latin church does. We have a, a particular Dominican origin, history, and charism, and so they're trying to bring back things proper to their order. And then they're flourishing. They have vocations coming out the windows. They can't build building. Coming out, <laughs> coming out the I mean, literally, they have 72 guys in formation for one. Wow. I think that's the last mailer I got. And they're ordaining seven, eight, nine guys a year and expanding their um, apostolates. When other Man, you could have been of, a superior by now. Well, it's true. If that was 2003, I would have been ordained in 2009 or eight. I could have been, I could have been, I could have been somebody. <laughs> I could have been, been a contender. Could have been a contender. Instead of a bum, <laughs> which is what I am. Uh, so what do you mean you felt it in your gut? You were like, uh, you were just... You know, it didn't seem like something that you wanted to do or you would try again later or... Well, you know, there's two ways to discern things. One is in your brain and you're like, oh, this life, do I, is this suited for me or not? And one is in your gut like, oh, I don't feel, this doesn't feel right. So, you know, if you fall in love with somebody, you don't say, well, we seem to have the same interest <laughs> in going antiquing and we both like Mexican food and that would make us well suited. You know, like mm-hmm. the tea-ness of the Myers-Briggs, you know, thinking right. is, is important, but falling in love with someone means... Sometimes rationality goes out the window and you say, even though we can never agree on cool room at night or warm room at night and going to sleep. I still can't agree with that. I still love you. Right. So, right. So there's the gut sense and then there's the thinking sense. So my, my thinking was, Hey, this is great. I love the liturgy, the intellectual tradition, the Thomistic tradition, community life. A lot of those things were great. But in my gut, I was just like, don't think this is right. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no job. I left this job here. I had no money because I paid mm-hmm. all my student loans off. I had no car. I think I had $800 in the bank and the clothes on my back. <laughs> and wow. St- and still I left. And I went and stayed with my mom and dad for a couple of months. Boomerang. You're oh, a boomerang kid. I know, I know. But uh, actually, you know, it was funny that I knew a guy here and he heard that I left Dominicans and Father Canary, who was the rector here at the time. I was home at my old bedroom for two days, and Father Canary <laughs> called from here and said, mm, uh, "Dennis, would you uh, would you like to come back?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> so I was like, "May." Then I said, "Is it all right if I come back in August?" And he said, "Sure." So June, July, and August, I sat on my butt. I read books. I went to the beach. I went and visited friends. More goof off time. Oh my gosh! It was like the first time my sabbatical life, since I was twelve that I didn't have a job. It was mm-hmm. really good. And I had a tan. I was rested. My father was funny, too, because he said, um, you know, they used to give you $35 a month in the Dominicans to do whatever, get a mm-hmm. haircut, buy coffee, whatever. I didn't even spend it a lot of times. And my father said to me, how much, how much money a month did they give you in the Dominicans? And he, I said, $35. He said, I can do better than that. So he used to give me 100 bucks <laughs> every month just Double to it. <laughs> have some money to do something, which was really nice of him because I had nothing at the time. But you could came get back here. so many haircuts with a hundred dollars. Oh, wow, I know. I oh know. man. So, so anyway, I came back here and been here now 12 more years, more than that, 15 years. So, uh, when they offered you the job to come back, was that to the liturgical institute or yes. to the, okay. It's the liturgical institute. Okay. Did you ever, did you ever teach in the seminary? Not officially, no. I mean, I would Unofficially, go and, I would do secretly. some. Well, you know, a <laughs> seminary professor would say, "Would you come do a guest spot on okay. architecture or something?" So I didn't. I, I don't. I mean, we're in a different program than the seminary. So Correct. You're right. Occasionally, if someone there's crossover me. though. There's faculty sharing. Right. Some of the seminary professors teach for us, but correct. Um, you know, Dr. Paul Hilliard, who teaches church history, had me come in and do some oh, things on architecture. I'm trying to get a podcast with that guy. Yeah. Well, he teaches for us sometimes too. Mm-hmm. He's very good, and. Um, Chris Carstens used to teach a course in the seminary. Who's that? He's that other guy from this. Some, some, pod, some award-winning podcast I've never heard of. <laughs> he would have me come in for a couple of weeks and do architecture for the first theologians. Mm-hmm. But this year I'll be teaching a course on the liturgical movement for seminarians, which is really great because it's really important. Oh, so that's an actual seminary course. It's an elective teaching. for seminarians because wow. they asked for it. So I said, okay. Did the did the class not exist? The course not exist before? Or well, it was a course in the liturgical institute. 
curriculum. But they wanted to bring it into the seminary? Yeah, but last year, a bunch of fourth-year guys, so they're deacons ready to be ordained, they just said, hey, DMAC, we don't know what you teach. We just want to take a class with you. We don't care what it is. So I showed them the four or five different syllabi that I had, and I said, pick the one you want. And they picked the liturgical institute. I mean, liturgical movement. <laughs> <laughs> and they picked the liturgical institute. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about liturgical movement, we're not talking about, like, dancing around. Okay? No, no. Got it. No. Or the movement that comes from Skyline Chile. We're, ju- we're talking about... <laughs> A movement theologically is when a bunch of scholars get together and think about theological things. And uh, so all the liturgical reform ideas of the 20th century that came into Vatican II came from a bunch of people thinking and writing. That's kind of funny that that's what they chose from like all the things that you teach. Well, there was art and architecture class, which they thought was good, but like it's a really important class actually for someone about to be a priest. What's the nature of the liturgy? What is the big deal with Vatican II? How do you properly interpret <laughs> Sounds like Vatican? Jerry Seinfeld. What's, What's the, the deal, deal with, with, with act of participation? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a reasonable act of participation. Make up your mind. I know. And most people think it means running around being busy, but you know, and when we have the deep theological understanding of what participatio means in the life of the Trinity, dialogue of the Trinity, that's a whole different thing. Christ is offering self to the Father, as I mentioned before. Participating in that process by offering yourself to the Father through the sacramental realities of the rites of the Mass. So you can be glorified and transformed. And if you're glorified and transformed, you're not as likely to sin. And if you don't sin, then you're nicer to other people. And then you spread that love. It's like paying it forward in a way. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, the whole world is brought to the kingdom of God. And the source of that grace primarily comes through sacred liturgy. So what's next? Another 10 years at the Liturgical Institute? Oh, I don't know. We'll see what God wants. <laughs> you know, my, my brother-in-law is a good guy, and he's a, he's a strategic planning type. You know, Where mm-hmm. do you want to be in five years? I want to be this or I want to be that. He asked me that, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't even know next week, really. I don't do that. Some yeah. people do, but there's nowhere to go in my job. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be... No, there's nowhere. There's no above. So... I just say I'm like a guy sitting. You've on peaked. The, <laughs> <laughs> I say I'm like a guy sitting on the bank of the river, uh, fishing, doing whatever. And if something flows down the river that I'm supposed to get on, then all right. But that's mm-hmm. God's God's choice, not mine. Yeah, I I can never get too far in advance, just because. Well, first of all, you can't really plan or know anything in the future, and so anytime you really try to do that, I think you kind of set your expectations far too high or where you yeah. want to go. And and if you're in a corporation and you're at the entry level and there's like vice presidents and presidents, and then you say, "I want to be the CEO someday," well, that's reasonable, but you know, I'm already sort of running this place <laughs> day by day. Uh, Father that's Bema, true. Father Bema does other stuff uh, mm-hmm. at the administrative level, but. Why would I give this up? Podcasting? Podcasting? <laughs> Morning prayer, evening prayer, and mass are part of my job description? Yeah. I get to decide what liturgical music we sing? That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I mean, if you like to be in charge of liturgy and most of the time the world doesn't agree with you, you get to be have some authority over that. It's, it's this nice. It's kind of like a private little uh, liturgy club, you know? It's really great. Yeah, and the students are like my private chaplains, huh? The yeah. priest students. Not really, because they're priests, but I'm not. Right. Well, they're not all priests. We have some laity, too. Right. But the priests who we do have, Mm -hmm. usually we're all on the same page, and we always want to do it well and best. So it's really good. Yeah, it's really great to see all the amazing things that our graduates are doing and all the offices of worship that they're leading and all of the cathedrals that they're rectoring. Ignatius Yao. Who's that? He is one of our graduates who is director of worship in the Diocese of Singapore. Whoa. Singapore. How awesome is that? I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Singapore. We have several, uh, India. We have uh, professors and seminaries in India, uh, Australia. New Zealand. New Zealand, yes. Canada. Canada, yes, as mm-hmm. I like to call it. Canada. Yep. And Father Morgan White could go back to Ireland and he could be doing stuff there. Right. He's in Tex- Texas, but he's mm-hmm. Irish born. And uh, we don't have anybody in, in Europe, I don't think, or Antarctica. Yeah. We have. Yeah, but we need some Antarctica. Yeah, we need one of those uh, Antarctic, you know, climate scientists to come mm-hmm. get a degree here and then go back. Yeah, because those will be related. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, that's pretty. I actually didn't know your uh, novitiate story, so I'm glad. That oh, yeah. It was a sweet. It was a sweet time. I mean, someone gives you a year off, mm-hmm. lets you read, study, and pray, and they pay for everything. That's pretty sweet. I took like five years off and then decided to do like, quote unquote, real life adult stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's really great. And even then, and even so, 
Um, the way we do things here is almost like a religious community. And in fact, uh, we have quite a few students that discern after coming to school here or while. Yes. Christian. Christian and Joe Wagner. Mm-hmm. They're both at St. Minerad now. It's yep. On their way to monk. Monkness. Monk, monkey. Monkeying They're around. very monkey, both of those guys. Yeah. Monkish. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Yeah. And uh, we've had some people join the Das and Priesthood from here. Father Nick Kostick in Chicago was Oh, I didn't know first. that. Yep. Yep. See? But if you love the liturgy, chances are you probably love things like priesthood and so on. So sure. it's a natural feeder in a way. All right. I, I want to give something away. Really? What yeah. do we have to give away? Well, we, 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 we got still some, have t-shirts. We still have t-shirts. So we got some 5X yeah. t-shirts. And 5X. 4X, 3X, 2X, and XL. Again, uh, yeah. we gave those all away first. Yep. But we got new t-shirts. So Katie and I think her Justin... Oh my gosh! Are you saying they're five X people? No, no, we we wow, ran Jesse, out of no, we ran out rude. of the sizes that they need because they won the Limerick contest. Oh, ages ago, yeah, and <laughs> we didn't have size, proper sizes for them. Well, now we do. So, Katie and Justin, I think it's Justin. Oh my gosh! Oh man! Let me just double check. How did that Limerick go? Uh, Jesse and E, but, uh, uh, I, e, but no I, who loved to drink food from a pie or something (laughs) (laughs) drink food from a pie (laughs) drink food from a pie oh my gosh crust from a pie oh yeah yes 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 anyway uh i didn't see it on here i thought that was on here but so we're sending them some stuff so should we have another contest or should we have another contest okay what what would it be this time who can apply fastest to the summer oh yeah 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 is the application online now it's online yeah Yeah, where do they go uh, they can go to liturgicalinstitute.org. Although if they join, if they come here for the summer, they're going to get a t-shirt anyway. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, sorry. Hey. Give it away. Let's go. Okay. Well, we can't We do could that. give them a swag bag of stuff. That has the pint glass and the mug and the night prayer book, which we only have like five left. They're very valuable now. Oh, I don't even. Oh, we do. Yeah, we do we, have one left. We, we have several swag bags. All right. We will send a swag bag. An L.I. swag bag. An L.I. swag bag. Or, is, or if you're from Minnesota, it's a swag bag. Uh, oh, don't you know? <laughs> I can't wait till you learn the Minnesotan alphabet. Uh, if you uh, if you uh, end up applying to the summer session, or even if you want to be a student at large, and you do that, and you're the first one to do it, you will get a swag bag from the Liturgical Institute with lots of sweet, sweet stuff in it. Yeah, it's got a pint glass uh, with our logo on it, and etched into the glass. Mm-hmm. It's got a mug with our logo. A mug with Dennis's mug on it. <laughs> with a po- <laughs> hey, how about that? Uh, it's got a quote from Pope Francis on the liturgy, and believe it or not, he's said quite a number of good things about the liturgy. That's true. And it also has the night prayer, and it has some prayer cards, and some other stuff. So Pro- Probably some candy in there. So the first person to apply for the summer, that's a pretty high bar. Yeah. Totally worth it. So, uh, so that will be the giveaway. And we'll we put should- a t-shirt in there, too. How about that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. Put a T-shirt in there, uh, but but you have to have a real intention to come. You can't just fill out the application <laughs> just to win the bid. I don't know. I don't know. It might be worth it just to fill out the application. We'll give it to you on day one if you're the first one to written. You know, has All right. Well, make sure in your application that you note somewhere in one of the fields that you listen to the podcast and that you want to apply for the uh, summer session because you listen to this. Or you can email Jesse at questions at liturgyguys.com and confirm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely do that, uh, Dennis. Do you have anything else to say? I think you're great. Are you, is, oh, thank you. Yeah. I think you're great, man. Wait, just don't you wish this caffeine would never wear off? Is it going to wear? Are you wearing wearing down? No, not yet. Oh, yeah. so this is time to ask for all the favors you need. <laughs> hey, can you finish tidings? Oh, don't. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask for a foot massage. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not from you. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, another, is this coffee dog over already? I think so. Man, all right. I'm looking well, at the clock, and it's we've been talking a while. Torturing people with talking about nothing. No. Oh. What do I say every coffee talk, Jesse? I like talking about nothing. Man. <laughs> it it actually is. It is nice for the listeners. Uh, it may seem like Who we're else kind of yeah. Right. It yeah. seems. I guess I don't know what the, what you think we do when we prepare our podcast, but there is actually quite a bit of preparation. There is no preparation. It may it may sound like we're just uh, oh yeah, let's just randomly talk. Well, but somebody asked me like how how long does it take you to write out your script, and I was like, there is oh, no yeah. script. Well, okay, there so no, even when I decide to talk like a radio announcer, that just happens on the spot. Even mm-hmm. when Chris is coughing, that just happens on the spot. 
and his general apathy towards our entertainment initiatives is actually authentic. So yeah, he's doing whatever, thinking about <laughs> stuff. And we're just filling time live from Madison, but, uh, Wisconsin. But it's coffee despite talk. Despite that, there is there is preparation and there is you know topic discussion. We don't script everything out. That's do you for know sure. how much I like talking with the NPR radio announcer voice? A lot. You do that it a is lot. my favorite favorite thing. I want to do a whole <laughs> podcast talking like this. I don't want to listen. There'll be one I'll skip. But other people in the radio like to listen to this. Hey, I, I've told you my favorite podcast episode, which is. Meta, get, let's get metaphysical. What is your favorite episode that we've done? That is a good one. The metaphysics of music. I don't know. It's, it's like asking which one of your children is your favorite. <laughs> My children podcast episodes. Yeah, they're like. You, okay, how about we I give, give birth to? You these probably like the me. ones that uh, you were able to talk about, like the altar or the yeah, pipe organ. Was you know, the one good. on beauty with uh, Von Balthazar. It's very. Yeah, that I one's like that good. one a lot too. I'm talking about the icon. The icon one was real tight. We had something mm-hmm. to say. We went right through it. Boom, boom, oh, boom. That was good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, don't I know. can't imagine. That's I can't imagine. That's what it's called. Uh, I am running out of puns for the titles of our podcast. It used to be like, oh, yeah, well, this, let's do this. This is funny. What was now the it's just best like, one ever? There was, the, there was one I came up with. I oh, yeah. That. Obviously, the <laughs> best one ever was the one that you came up with. No, but you liked it. It was the baptism one. Oh, infant baptism. Yeah, yeah. that was good. I-N hyphen F-O-N-T. Mm-hmm. Baptism. Mm-hmm. Infant, infant. You know, one that I was not too happy with, but I end up really liking was the post, postmodern, modern. Yeah. Post, post You know what modern. I thought we should have called that? Postmodern, postmortem. Wouldn't that have been awesome? <laughs> postmortem is when you talk about stuff after it's after done. It's, so a postmodern, oh, postmortem oh, literally uh, means after death, but it doesn't always apply to death. Hmm. So like a eulogy. Yeah, a eulogos. Good oh. word. All right. Uh, so apply for the summer session soon. The sooner you do it, the faster you'll get your swag bag. Swag bag. And, uh, yeah. Let us know what you like about these coffee talks. We like doing them, so let us know if you like them. If you don't, we're still going to do them, but just let us know. Right. And if you want us to talk about a particular topic, liturgically, send us a request. We'd love to learn about it and talk about it. And if you want a coffee talk topic... Send that to us, too. We could yeah. talk about donuts, Cheetos, table chairs, golf. Let's not talk about golf. What's a table chair? I don't know. Chairs that you put at a table. Oh, tables and chairs. Okay, got it. All right. We can talk about anything. It's This one talk. is in the can. Ding! I don't know. I don't know what a can sounds like. No, that's a podcast. Depends on the, <laughs> depends on the can, I guess. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye now. I did the... That means no more talking. Okay. That's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.